And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Saka, that's a better ball in. <laughs> Kai Havertz. Well, he needed a moment to kickstart his Arsenal career. And the moment that he conjures up takes them top of the Premier League. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We're going to talk about the win over Brentford. I I have to admit that I didn't see it live because it was really uh, one of the stranger nights of my life. Uh, I was in uh, Trance Sanctuary. It was a daytime event uh, over uh, by Tobacco Dock in East London, dancing for uh, seven hours. Slightly unseemly for a man of my age, you may think. But they're about 12 of us. It was essentially the weirdest, the weirdest place I've ever watched a game. Uh, I was right in the middle of the dance floor listening to John Askew, the uh, acclaimed trance DJ, when uh, I looked at my phone and Kai Havertz had scored in 89 minutes and I showed my mate. And I was punching the air and everyone's going, you're liking the music. I'm going, no, finally Havertz has got on the the score sheet from open play. Uh, Although I am enjoying the music as well. Definitely the weirdest place I've ever watched a game. Uh, you two, you ever watched a game in a weird place, Adrian? <laughs> Not really. I mean, there's so Not many questions. So many questions. So it's a, so it's a daytime event. Um, yes. And is it full of old, old, oldies? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was the youngest one there. No, no. It really is a very, very pleasant, uh, pleasant evening. But I have to say that yesterday, I didn't do a huge amount. I didn't, but I did look at my phone on Saturday night and I did 24,000 steps. <laughs> so, you know, that was a good, and it was a good place. And I can't say I had my eye entirely on the football, but I did watch the highlights, yeah. of course. Wow. So I know what happened. Yeah, daytime clubbing. This is, this could be the way forward. Might be my way it, back it in. It is the future. Yeah. It is the future. When I, when I get to 90, I'll be going to one about nine in the morning, <laughs> finishing by about one o'clock in the afternoon for mid-afternoon yeah. now. I'm well impressed. Well impressed with your stamina. That, that, I don't think that's even something I can... Could, I could do any more. Seven hours of that. Well, yeah. You were you were a professional footballer for goodness sake. You've obviously still got some residue fitness. Amy's looking a bit worried because Amy, of course, used to do this sort of stuff, but obviously not in the last uh, few years. Um Amy, have you ever watched a game or kept abreast of a game in a club? I mean, I don't imagine. In you a have. club? No. Uh, I've been in some odd places. I remember <laughs> driving through the Atlas Mountains. Near the desert with a mate. Morocco. Yeah. Morocco. Yep. Yeah. Um, with a bit of Five Live uh, World Service, listening to a game we played against Leeds a long time ago. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It was, you know, but we had to, the, the, where we were driving to, there was the, the World Service sort of reception was going in and out. So that was eventful. Um, <laughs> But the one I sort of remember in in that I was listening, I was keeping up with the game at a bizarre moment when I shouldn't have. 
I've got a very strong memory of going to a game at Selhurst Park in 1998, and I think it was Wimbledon who were playing there at the time against Newcastle when Dalgleish was their manager. And Dalgleish was doing his press conference, and back in those days it would be in a kind of like corridor or cupboard or something like that, and the the, the journalists would just sort of be huddled around the person uh, with their dictaphones out just asking questions. And I had uh, a, a little headphone with one ear listening to Arsenal who were playing at that particular time <laughs> on in the yeah. run-in to the 98 league title, uh, I think, unless I'm getting my games all mixed up. But um, And there was some sort of chance and I sort of went and like fell into Kenny Dalgleish. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, it's not the most professional. No, 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 it wasn't. I had one ear on Kenny mumbling in Scottish and one ear on the commentary from wherever Arsenal were playing that day. And it was it was very, very intense. So sorry, Kenny, if I bumped into you while you were being a professional. That's tremendous. I wasn't. <laughs> but, you know, Excellent. you've got to do what you got to do. You have? Yeah, I can't, I can't match any of that. I do remember, I can't, my mind's gone a bit blank, but I do remember a couple of years ago I went to the Maldives and I couldn't sleep. And then I worked out that Arsenal were playing. So I found it. I found it on, on an app and started listening to it while everyone, we were all in the same room in the Maldives. So the two kids and my wife, and I sort of smuggled my headphones on and just listened to it. It turned out to be, it was the game Everton, it was Everton Arsenal. I think we got beat at Goodison a couple of years ago, but yeah, I'd, um, I, te- I knew the commentator and I texted while I was um, while I was listening to say what to say. I was in the middle of the night in the Maldives and I got name checked on the radio, which is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> How brilliant! How brilliant! I mean, I would say listening uh, to the radio, listen to any radio commentary is slightly more difficult. I think. I mean, the kids might not. They might just might not do it anymore. But the, it sound, every attack sounds like they are about a foot from the goal line, right? <laughs> I mean, it really does. It's really stressful, I think. Anyway, anyway, we got a 1-0 win away at Brentford. Uh, Mikel Arteta's 200th match in charge. Uh, there is an in-depth piece on the website by Arthur Roche and Mark Carey. Um, 116 victories for the club uh, is more than Arsene Wenger, more than George Graham, more than Herbert Chapman, more than any Arsenal manager, 58% win percentage. There's all sorts of stats in this Now piece get the trophies. <laughs> well, this is what it's about, right? This is what it's about. We know he started well, although... Although, I mean, when you read that, it all seems like plain sailing. But without the backing of the board, Amy, I mean, if he was at Chelsea with that, with what happened in the first 70 or 80 games, he'd have gone, right? Look, Chelsea fired, was it Ancelotti after he won them the double? I mean, hello. Uh, so that's not really a point of comparison, I don't think. No, I think, I you, think, I think we have to. Right. we have to look at Arsenal within Arsenal's scenario. And yeah, absolutely, he's been very, very well backed, which is symbolic of how strongly I think they believe that they've got, you know, someone a bit special in charge of the club. It looks that way, doesn't it? With that win percentage, it really does. Well, also when you probably look at the win win percentage in the previous two hundred, I don't know what that would have been, but I expect not quite so good. (laughs) Yeah, quite. Adrian, let's talk about Kai Havertz. Uh, A goal from open play. The moment to give him a bit of confidence to kick on. I saw Amy's tweet. You were at the game, weren't you, Amy? It was. 
Yeah, uh, Mikel pushing Kai towards the away end. Um, it's still a bit of reticence, Adrian, on both sides, do you think, from the fans and the player d- towards each other? Or do you think it's this will move that on almost immeasurably? I don't know. I think I think the supporters are, are behind him, aren't they? They're willing him on. It's just that, you know, there's a bit of scepticism over how he's going to fit in, I guess. But I think we... We'll, we want him to do well, don't we, as a, as a group of supporters? And I think that that probably made the celebrations even more sort of intense than maybe they would have been if somebody else had scored. So I think with Kai, he's just seemingly quite a shy boy. You know, he's not he's not out there, is he? He's not super confident, and maybe he just needs that little push from Mikel Arteta. You know, and us, yeah, and exactly, us. and. And I hope, I really, really hope that this goal sort of just eases a little bit of pressure on his shoulders and that he can just relax and just go for it and enjoy it. I think the key thing, that the, the key learning really here is that, that that kind of goal can happen a lot. And I know that's why we didn't sign him. We didn't sign him to play this sort of Fellaini, Suchek type role where you come and attack crosses at the far post. But... That's what he brings us against super defensive opponents, and and we didn't we didn't sign him to be an impact sub either, we did we? Not for sixty five no, million quid. But I do think in these kind of matches where teams camp on the edge of their own box, or as Brentford did for long periods inside their own box, having someone of his height has got to be an advantage. And I, I do think that he's capable. He's won a lot of headers this season, but not had very many headed shots. Um, by my reckoning, he's had three headed shots all season. He's, he's just scored from one. The, the trick now is for him to just go there as a matter of course. Just make that run every time. And and I think that Saka and Erdegaard in particular will we'll find him. They'll find him. Amy, I mean, is it is it just about confidence with a kid like uh, Kai Havertz? I mean, as Adrian said, he seems like a shy guy. Even the fact that he had to be pushed towards the away fans, even though he scored the winning goal in a 1-0 tough away win at Brentford. I mean... There's shyness, and then there's like, no, 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 you've got to show yourself a little bit. I think that uh, Mikel was interesting um, talking about that afterwards in the press conference because he sort of said, look, he deserved that, but he wasn't going to do it. And that was why he was sort of so forceful in getting him in a headlock and dragging him uh, towards the away fans. So in fairness, you, you mentioned, you, you know, I think there's a difference between fans in the stadium and fans out there in anywhere in the world. Uh, and I think that, like a lot of these things, you can have sort of conflicting and, and mixed emotions anyway about whoever you are. But I would say that the fans in the ground, I mean, once he scored the goal, they just pretty much didn't let up singing his name until the end of the match, all through the stoppage time, you know, several minutes, which I think was what they did also <laughs> down at Bournemouth when he got that penalty. It helps say it's a catchy number that has people dancing in the aisles, but... Honestly, just very you know, quickly, I took my daughter to a match, to her match on Sunday morning. Well, early kickoff. I was in the car at quarter to nine in the morning, and her and her little friend, her little teammate, they sang the Bloomin' Kai Havertz song that way. So it was great. But that's you know, I love all that, don't you? It's brilliant. Well, I think it, it's 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 really it's a, it's essential. It's been essential in many ways because whatever we think, he has found it a little bit overwhelming to settle in as I'm sure he and everyone at the club would have wanted. And imagine how much worse that might have been had he felt a kind of resistance or anxiety or um, displeasure or something like that from the crowd. 
the fact they've been kind of overtly welcoming um, and really patient uh, is is a credit. I think the most interesting thing, though, is what happens next, and we just don't know. You know, is this going to be the unblocking moment? You know, it's it's really hard to to guess. Um, it, we have to watch this space, but the fact that he's played in so many different positions and so many different types of roles since he's been here tells you that you know they're trying to make it work. But it's interesting that they kind of got him in, presumably with a, a, a relatively fixed idea. We all thought that left eight was the you know the story going around that that was what he was here to do. But it is him playing all sorts of different things just a question of him fitting in and eventually he'll adapt to that left eight? Or is this Arsenal trying to find a role for him that suits? As long as the end result is a success and is more good performances and uh, important interventions that help the team, I'm not sure it really matters. But it's, it's, it's definitely been more complicated, I think, than probably Arteta would have imagined when he went to the board and said, this is the man I want and this is how much it's going to need. And I think there is a sort of, there's still a pressure to make it work, you know, in a, in a more consistent and more uh, obvious way. We've got a lot of games coming up and I think it's really important that in those games coming up, we see a kind of cranking up of what he can give to the team. And in terms of tactics, uh, Adrian, I mean, we played against another low block. This is going to be a regular occurrence this season. I know that elsewhere, Bukayo Saka was talking about how almost every team is doubling up on him and Gabriel Martinelli. Thomas Frank talked about it after the game, said for most of the game, we kept quiet, two of the best wingers in the Premier League. And they obviously did that by having two men on each of them whenever they got the ball. And so... It, it does mean that we're having to change. We're not a surprise package anymore, are we? And do you think we're effective enough against the low block? I mean, listen, we're top of the league, but do you think tactically we're evolving, Adrian? Well, I hope we are. Yeah, I hope, I hope that we're we're getting better and better at it. There's definitely a feeling that that opponents have become more cautious against us. Look, Brentford were unbeaten in a lot, a lot of. Um, London derbies. I haven't lost one since us at home. Yeah, exactly. It's a long, long time since they lost a London derby, yet they conceded the game to us. They basically said, 11 men behind the ball. We're all about just stopping you and and hoping to to get the odd breakaway where we, where we have to be clinical. That was their approach. And we've got to get used to that, not just from Brentford, but from, from lots of teams as well. Maybe that was where this team selection came from with Trossard and Erdegaard as the, as the two attacking midfielders. The problem is you've got to you've got to uh, somehow move that back five or back eight from side to side to create holes between players because if you don't they're just going to block off the space there's no way through the middle so you go to the side to then put the ball into the area to find someone in a gap and if you think about the two goals we scored because we did score two goals both of them kind of came about in that way where we change the angle of the attack we create a 3v2 I've written about this on the Arsenal website it's up there if anyone wants to see the sort of visual representation of, of what I'm talking about go on there but basically we created 3v2s twice inside the box and we scored from both of them 
um, Saka seeing it, delivering it, and and obviously the players getting on the end of it, Jesus for the first one and, and Havertz for the second. And it comes about usually by switching play quite quickly so that that, that line just gets a little bit fractured. Then we go back in and we've just got to get a little bit better at it. And, that, and that's why Kai can be important because he offers us that, that threat in the air. There was another one, of course, when, uh, when Eddie went through and there was a big overload. Yes, that was yeah, that was more of a breakaway. He, he messed that up though, didn't he? He should have. Yeah, and then and there was one other moment when we were four on two when Brentford had overcommitted slightly and Saka just got the ball stuck under his feet. So I'd say four times in the game, you know, we we really looked like uh, we we created that sort of numerical advantage. Yeah, my point there was more on when we were out wide, we created the three v two. I wasn't so much thinking about the right. whole game. Okay, but but because 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 the. Th- because I had so many defenders there. There was yeah, always yeah. one more Brentford defender than there was a forward, always, apart from on a couple of occasions where somehow we managed to sneak a little bit of an overload in at, in at the far stick and, and, and Saka saw it. So, yeah, it, it, was, it was a tough game. We had to be really, really patient. Adrian, do you think that that sort of, we have to become a bit more sophisticated as fans in our assessments of things like this because it is quite easy to sit and watch this game, a game like that and think, why are we playing so slowly? Why is everything quite laboured and deliberate and methodical? Why, you know, what's happened to that kind of giddy, ex- exhilarating excitement of last season? You know, because that's something that, I was kind of wrestling with and have been for quite a bit of this season. And I think, you know, maybe is a, a broader feeling. And it's it's hard because, you you know, you want to go and be thrilled. You want to love the ride. But at the same time, maybe that's just not possible at the moment. I mean, I, I been, was going round and round in my head trying to work it all out. And the, the best I came up with was, I think when you're trying to evolve a team, you can't do it all at once. You have to do it sort of piece by piece. And it's very obvious that Mikel is is focused on uh, correcting things at the back, making Arsenal harder to beat and much less likely to give away stupid moments with individual errors, which they did for fun last year, let's be honest. And and that is massively improved, notwithstanding some goalkeeping wobbles. You know, on the whole, the defensive side of the game is really strong now. So maybe it's just having to be patient and say we do that bit first and then once that's kind of solid you go a bit further forward and see about addressing that I don't know yeah I think I think we I mean City fans have probably been through this a little bit you know where teams just put five at the back four in midfield one up front and that one's back all the time and you just got to find ways and yeah what I'd, I'd like to see more of is more combination play give and goes because because even though it's hard to pierce a line of five defenders and four midfielders in the middle of the 18 yard box there are there are ways it's it's normally it's normally give and goes with runners going in in beyond and, and that side of it i think we can definitely get better at but we haven't really had that settled team have we this season where the combinations haven't been consistent so hopefully that will come but but yeah we're wrestling with it definitely but but we are finding ways, aren't we? We are finding ways to to beat these teams and and to pick up the points. We're above Manchester City and Liverpool yeah. at the top of the league. I mean, I I mean the tone of the way we're talking. So oh, we're trying to find a way <laughs> through and everything. But we've we've 
One nine, drawn three, and lost one. And we shouldn't have lost that one. Um, let's talk about uh, Aaron Ramsdale. Obviously, the spotlight on him, and he made a mistake in the first half. Adrian, mm. was that essentially the perfect scenario for Mikel Arteta? In that Rambo looked shaky, messed up, but we didn't concede from the mistake. We went on to win the game, but it essentially cements David Raya as the club number one. And it feels, it felt a little bit like that might have been his last game for the Arsenal. Injuries notwithstanding. Yeah, I, I don't think Mikel would think like that. I, I genuinely don't. I, I think he would have wanted him to to, to play well. <sighs> It's so hard. It was a hard to watch, hard to watch, wasn't it? That first half, it really was. And we, we've brought this upon ourselves. Mikel has brought it on the team by making that bold decision to go and get David Raya, and it has made both of them edgy. I think I think there's just no denying that. I think there was an element of rustiness about about Ramsdale as well. I think it was probably telling that the the big mistake he made was where he was trying to be calm and trying to show that I can be like Raya. I can put my foot on the board and stay calm. And But you've got to be true to yourself and, and to your own qualities, haven't you? And and he got caught. And thank goodness Declan Rice anticipated what, what was happening and, and he saved the day. And then that throw was a sign of a really, really nervous play, wasn't it? That, where, where the ball sort of basically stuck to his glove. So... Um, is it going to be his last game? I don't know. Yeah, I think it help. It makes it an easier decision, doesn't it, to bring Raya back in as number one? And that's what yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, really? yeah, that's, that's what I mean. undeniable. He's going to do that anyway. That's undeniable. He but was yeah, he's going to do that anyway. Was, you know. Yeah, he was going to do that anyway. I just think for for Ramsdale, what? Yeah, what? What next for Ramsdale? That for me, that's the big question. I would, I would be really tempted to actually call it quits here and say, look, it's not working. We're not driving up standards. We've got one really unhappy goalkeeper that we're kind of, you know, we're, we're ruining him a little bit. It's putting extra pressure on Raya too. Maybe we let we let Ram, Rambo go either permanently or might, what would be my preference for now it might be just a loan move just to get him out there playing to help get him into the Euro squad. We bring in someone else that's decent enough as cover and, and that noise just goes. Amy, I mean, it was interesting, I thought, when Mikel Arteta was asked about Rambo after the game, he talked about the team defending as a whole. He didn't want to go there. He doesn't he didn't want, want to go there. He, doesn't no. want to, he didn't want to go there before the game. He didn't want to go there after the game. Yeah, it's not a subject that he really wants to, you know, get into the nitty-gritty of, uh, which tells its own truth. Um I think you're, you're not too far wrong, Adrian. I mean, a lot of people feel sad about it from a human point of view. And, you know, it's the manager's job to not be sentimental, I guess. But, I mean, when you talk about a loan, I think if the writing is on the wall and yeah, sell it, it yeah. is what it is, yeah. then if there's money to be made in January that can be put into other areas of the squad... Absolutely. We do need money. Then that might have to be, yeah, that that might have to be a consideration. But yeah, I mean, I guess, it, it, I hope it's not his last game, but if it, if, you know, that depends completely on whether or not he stays in January, because imagine that he would play FA Cup, at least. Well, it was just really the way that the team were around him when they sort of all hugged him at the end. No, and his I don't face, think that was, I don't think that was a, a, about that. I'm reading a lot into I think, it. I think that was just, mate, you've been through the mill. Yeah. You know, we love you. Um, you. You know, it's been a tough game for you. And, you, you know, we're absolutely here. I don't think it was necessarily more significant than that. The one thing that is interesting is 
whether it does have an effect on Raya and how much his nervousness has been associated with, you know, the things that have gone on around this situation rather than just about him as a goalie joining a new club. You know, will it will it help him, him if, if, if that situation is taken away? Or is his, his jitteriness just because he's gone to a much bigger club with a much bigger spotlight and he's finding it difficult, which also happens? Or can I put an alternative viewpoint? Is it, It's not jitteriness as much as he's been asked to play away, which is very close to the edge. And he's doing it. But sometimes, like against Man City, Alvarez almost caught him out and we almost conceded the goal from there. But he's playing the way Mikel Arteta wants him to play. And that means drawing them as close as possible and playing out. And sometimes it's going to go wrong. And again, this goes back, Amy, to your point about how fans have to accept that this is the way it's got to be to give us the maximum chance. We're up against two outstanding football teams. If we're going to beat them both to the title, we have to play very close to the edge. I mean, is that... Is there any validity in what I just said there? I mean, did you it, see Allison at the weekend? Allison looks so nervous. No one is talking about him being nervous. For me, for me, Allison's probably the best goalkeeper in the league, but he was terrible, and it it, it was mainly down to to playing out from the back, wasn't it? So, yeah, I think we just we have got to roll with it. I think the jury's slightly out on Raya Steele, whether he's got whether he's got the capability mm. to. To be number one at a huge club like Arsenal, I think he can, but I don't think it's it's nailed on yet. But but I, I do think if Ramsdale was to depart, it would help him. I, I couldn't see it being detrimental. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. They get a handbrake off and you can see that they are more free to play. Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark here on the Athletics Arsenal podcast Hand Break Off. Amy, the piece you wrote about this season versus last season, I was thinking about the comments that people made last year about the too much emotion. Uh, and, and we sort of, we, we pushed back against that because we were enjoying the emotion. But was there any any validity to what some of the pundits were saying, that it was all too excitable and chaotic this season is not emotional, is it really? I mean, it's it's really... Well, it's less emotional. I mean, emotional. it was very emotional in the last five minutes. I think that Arsenal were too emotional was really overblown last season. It was a big part of what got Arsenal to where they are and a big part of the tremendously exciting improvement that carried everybody along. And, you know, to say that that was the reason Arsenal didn't win the league is really specious logic when you look at the cluster injuries which I suspect were rather more important and a, also a big factor <laughs> yes I was just asking the question because because the, the piece does talk about the the how 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 much less emotion there is yes it is still emotional of course it is Manchester City home was definitely emotional well it's a I'm saying it's a more it's a more practical pragmatic approach it's a little bit less spontaneous and based on your your gut and your thrills and sort of let go for it. Um, but, you know, I think that is what Mikel Arteta sees as important part of ev- evolving this team. So we've got to go with it. Because yeah. as you say, yeah. Arsenal top of the league, guys. This is, uh, you know, it's just so, in, it's just funny that Arsenal are in a similar position to last year, top of the league, but it feels very different. Hence the kind of, it does. Difficult second album analogy where it's like they've gone off in a slightly new direction and you're a bit like, oh, okay, this is this is not quite <laughs> quite what I was expecting from these guys. Um But the defending though, Adrian, I mean, only ten goals conceded. I mean, so solid. And we have to we have to include the goalkeeper in that a little bit, really. Uh, we've only conceded 10 goals. And we have to, of course, include Declan Rice sitting in front as well. It, we Essentially a back five uh, plus the goalie. They've been very, very good. They don't concede too many chances. No, I mean, shots faced is, is way down. And I think we're, we're up there at the top, you know, in terms of... You know, not needing our goalkeepers as often as other teams do, and that that's a collective thing. It definitely helps that that Rice, Saliba, and Gabriella are at the cornerstone of that that spine, or or, or are the spine. And um, yeah, no, I, I think excellent. We we kept Brentford at, at arm's length, didn't we? I, I was looking at their touches in the box. It was their lowest in a home game this season. 
We made more passes, by the way, in, in the final third than in any other away game this season. And this is Brentford. This is away. You know, they made a concession to, to say, look, we're facing a really top team here. We're going to have to just park it. And that helps. We, if, if you spend most of the game inside the final third, you know, it's going to be difficult for teams to create chances against you, isn't it? So I think, I think there's more respect being shown to us. But, but in general, yeah, really happy with the defending. Obviously, Declan Rice has, has made a tremendous impact, mainly, and I said this in the live show, because I just think he brings such a calming effect. I, I think he, he calls mm. everybody down and and just effortlessly keeps teams away from our goal. So, yeah, long may this continue. I know it's a little bit boring, but I'm more than happy to to sort of play in these one-sided matches. I think keeping that trio of... Gabriel Saliba and Rice fit is really going to be fundamental. Well, I mean, that's an interesting point because do you think last year, obviously, William Saliba got injured. We brought in Rob Holding. Rob, bless him, was just not up to that level and we had to defend 10 yards deeper. Do you think if we lost Gabriel or Saliba, Kivior, I would have thought, or Tommy Asu can come in and do really a similar job. I mean, maybe not quite at the level, but we can play further up the pitch, which is the way we want to play. It seems to me that Declan Rice is the key. If we have Declan Rice, he can protect almost any defenders. I mean, I've said this on this podcast before, Leicester won the title with Robert Huth and Wes Morgan as centre-halves. And I think Saliba and Gabriel are better than them. Do you think if Declan Rice was in front of Mustafi and Louise? we could be sitting here having a completely different conversation. I think we'd be third. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a good point. It's, it's pace, isn't it? Look, we've got so much speed there and strength. No, they're, all, they're all brilliant players. Yeah, they're just fantastic. Brilliant players. Kivior and Tommy are good backups for sure. I do think central midfield is the, is the thing. Um, do we need a midfielder in January then? I, I mean, we can't I rely on so. Thomas Partey's fitness and it's really heavily reliant on Declan Rice. I mean, if, if he... I'm not even going to say it. So, do we need someone else in there? Yeah, I th- in my opinion, yeah. I, I th- Over a forward? I, I think we need both. But, but <laughs> <laughs> well, we're definitely going to have to sell some players if we're going to get both. I think we will sell some say. players. Yeah. Who, who can we sell? Come on. Apart, we discussed... Ramsdale and Smith-Rowe. Who else? Ramsdale. Will Smith-Rowe be sold if he's not fit? Will someone come in for him with the kind of money that's needed? Those are the two, aren't they? I mean, there isn't anyone else. There's no is one there else you'd really, really want to sell, is there? Um, I'm just trying to think. I mean, you wouldn't really want to sell either of those in an ideal world. No, but, yeah. but you you do need to raise the funds. I, I do think centre forward is is a slight issue, unless we go with Havertz as the, as a backup guy. Do you think there's not a possibility, just playing play devil's advocate here, of finding ourselves in quite a similar situation to last year where... It got to January and, you know, there was definitely a call for some reinforcements to kind of capitalise on the great start that Arsenal had had. And Declan Rice was basically, instead of getting a midfielder of some quality in January, Arteta knew that was who he wanted, knew he had a chance of getting him and was prepared to wait till the end of the season. Because he wasn't gettable in January for any money, I don't think. So what I'm saying is, if, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, there is an, a Declan Rice equivalent centre-forward who he has his eye on for next season, but who's not gettable in January, what do you do? Do you wait for the guy that's going to be the game-changer in January? Or do you make do with, with something a bit less 
than what you wanted possibly in January. Interesting thought. Yeah, it is interesting. I think he'd be more inclined to wait for the striker he really wants in the summer than wait for the midfielder. I do feel the need for a midfielder is, is quite strong if Partey's not going to be fit and available because um, I think in an ideal world, they want another player at the base with Declan often by their side, uh, you know, in a, in a box-to-box role because I think that's what that's the role that Declan wants to play himself as well. And, and at the moment, it's Jorginho and he, Jorginho's fine. But what happens if there's something happens to, to him? The Egyptian king. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's what happens. That's what happens. Just to say, is is Partey potentially one of the sales somewhere that some funds could be raised? That would be something else to throw into the mix. They, they might do that. Although I am still hopeful. The way he played the first half of last season, he was immense. And I'd like to see him come back and sit there with mm, Declan Rice. Yeah. Although, if we're playing teams with a low block, he might just go with one sitting midfielder and then two further up, Erdegaard plus one, maybe Trossard. So, uh, also, there was a little chat about Victor Ossiman. Um, I didn't want to mention his name, a chat that I saw but that was kind of who was in my mind. <laughs> Chelsea. If it, he would go to Chelsea. <laughs> well, why would he go to Chelsea? They've got to stop buying at some point, haven't they? Uh, anyway, Beth Mead scored a couple, Adrian. Her first goals since being back from injury. I mean, you've got to be so pleased for her, haven't you? I mean, it's so tough. The ACLs, and there's been a few. Uh, it's a long, lonely road back. Did you ever have a, uh, really long-term injuries or no? No, I was very lucky. Um, no, nothing wrong with my knees. Um, no, it, it, the, the main injury I had was a chronic one that kind of finished me in the end where I had you know, a chronic issue in my pelvis. And, and I ultimately got that fixed with a major operation, but ne- decided to retire anyway. Um, but yeah, no, through my career, I just had, you know, minor injuries by way of comparison. So. But when you were when you were playing, were there players who were out for a long time? And, and is it, I mean, that separation from oh, the training yeah. ground and from the team, it must be so tough. Oh, this, yeah, when I, if I was out for three weeks, it, you, you found the separation incredibly tough. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it, it's really, really difficult mentally. Obviously, Beth as well lost, uh, lost her mother um, in the last year as well so she's been through an awful lot um, in, her, in her own head over the last 12 months or so so it was a really nice moment and what a goal it was by the way oh, I don't know if you've seen goal. it but you yeah, know, top corner cuts in on her left just smacks it into that far top corner she got another one later in the game more of a close range Bit effort of a tap in wasn't it really that one yeah but she's always going to get chances she's always going to score goals it's just a matter of, of of game time and I think Ada Val is doing a really good job actually of, of giving her just enough but not too much game time he's, he's sort of taking her off around 65 minutes and I think that's that's probably the way forward for now so yeah brilliant brilliant moment and we swept West Ham aside with with ease really and yeah with Miedemar coming on as well and and Leah Williamson hopefully not too far away that squad that squad is looking a little bit special I've got to say got some players we definitely have some players second in the table yeah I was just you know it was such a kind of iffy start and there were so many questions weren't there that it seems like Things are slotting into place. Three points behind Chelsea, as Amy said. Uh, Rocky start. They said the ship. Arsenal, Chelsea uh, next up. Uh, big game. With the men, they got the Champions League, uh, the fifth match of the group stages. Adrian is going to 
obviously play the first team and uh, and go for it, isn't he? And uh, and hopefully Lons haven't read the memo from the rest of the Premier League to double up on Martinelli and Saka because the Champions League's it's been really fun to watch like last season's Arsenal. Isn't it? Oh, they're exciting! There they are. It's because they haven't got two players on each of the wingers. This is true. Yeah, it's it's been less physical, less less focused on just stopping us. Teams have come to play, haven't they? And and. Yeah, I hope Lons do because it will enhance our chances of winning the game. They are quite a cagey side. They're not involved in many high high scoring games. They very, very rarely Lons get blown away, and very, very rarely concede more than two goals. So it might it might not be as fun as a lot of us are hoping it's going to be. It might be a bit of a grind because they're they're, they're pretty good in they're well organised. They're aggressive. They've got danger down the wings, but. Yeah, I would expect us to win this one, but it might not be uh, a tonking. I think we might have to work hard for it. Champions League, Amy, it's slightly unreal, isn't it? The, the group stages. I mean, we've enjoyed it, the, the anthem and everything. And there is a sense that this Arsenal team should have enough to get through this group fairly comfortably. And uh, I think that's a feeling amongst the fans and, and amongst the team as well. So they just got to go and do the biz Wednesday, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. No complacency. Um, get the job done. Hopefully give it an easy task to go to Eindhoven. You don't really want to have to go and have too much pressure for that. But, you know, it's funny because the group has been, let's just say, not that, you know, slightly underwhelming in terms of the stellar names of Champions League. You're just like, oh, people are going to be shitting it when, you know, get a knockout game at the Emirates against someone massive. Like, imagine the nervous energy. It's going to be off the scale. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's what we want, though, right? It's what we want. 100%. It's what these players mm. want, which is, you know, really important. That's what they, they can't wait for. But it feels like we're ready, don't you think? Well, it's been great to have a group stage that hasn't been massively tense and stressful. So it's been like a kind of warm-up almost for when the, when the serious stuff happens. It is true. When you look at the number of injuries Newcastle yeah. have had, trying to, trying to navigate their way through that tough group, we haven't had to cope with that. And we've still had plenty of injuries anyway, but hopefully everyone's coming back and um, we can continue sort of bumbling our way to the title the season. <laughs> bumbling nice, our way to the title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, Amy, we need another piece at the end game. Yeah, we won the title, but, you know, was it fun? <laughs> I'd enjoyed that very much. Oh, you know what? If that happens, I'll write it. I'll take it if you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, no, no. it probably won't be the first thought in my mind, but... Uh, <laughs> probably not. I do, I do think one of the uh, below-the-line commenters... Uh, put it really well I felt he he called it unconvincingly top <laughs> to describe Arsenal now and I thought that was interesting but also kind of exciting because if we are to hope that this is a team that's still trying to find its best then things could be great when they're all convincingly top um, yeah well that's what I keep saying so this isn't this isn't the peak it felt like in the first half of the season Arsenal couldn't really get any better than how they were whereas this is a bit flipped, so maybe the best is still to come. Woo-hoo. And and to win the Champions League, and I'm going to say win the Champions League. Oh my <laughs> to win god! It, you've got to have a good defense. You, you you won't win it without one. I'm going to be in trucker trucker overdrive. Oh my god! Going forward on the Champions League front, and, and I don't even know I'll be able to speak. Nice, nice. Uh, all right. Well, we'll continue this another day. Let's have a song before we go. I should choose something trance, really. <laughs> 
but uh, I'm not yeah, going go on, to. Then. No, no, because they're all the same. I mean, it was seven hours of exactly the same. You couldn't really tell. I was going to say songs. Did you sing along to it? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course I did. Yeah, it's like somebody's doing building work next door. That's what's going on. <laughs> well, not in next door, in the room, as a matter of fact. No, I'm taking a, uh, a more um, uh, conventional song. I've got Steady As She Goes by The Raconteurs. Because it is steady as she goes. We are top, we're above everyone, and we're doing very nicely. And uh, <laughs> Tottenham lost again. Outstanding. They are definitely entertaining, aren't they? But they're Nothing so happy, else. aren't they, Spurs fans, about these defeats? That, you know, there's so much positivity, which is great yeah, to see. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's what I love, Lee. Yeah, I'm proud of the boys. We did what we tried to do. Did you lost 2-1 at home? But okay, well done. Uh, <laughs> Adrian, what about you? <laughs> I'm going to go. Well, this works for this works for on so many levels. It's a word we've used today. Um, it was about patience, wasn't it, against Brentford? It's about patience with the wait for the exhilarating football with Kai Havertz. It's about being patient, waiting for him to come come on strong. So yeah, so take that classic, isn't it? Patience. going to go for Lloyd Cole in the commotions. No that's way. That's too cool for me, isn't it? Oh. That's way too cool for me. It's got to be take that version. I love that. <laughs> oh. If we'd have said Lloyd Cole of the commotions, I, I'm not. I think we'd just left it there. To be oh, honest with you, Adrian, what? Adrian, Lloyd? No, no, he's not going for Lloyd Cole and the commotions. And Amy, uh, I said, what '90s French rapper have, have, has uh, has recorded well, a song that suits this particular time? I'm not going to go for anything like that. I, I nearly went for uh, Kajigugu and Too Shy for a bit of. Uh, <laughs> Wow. A bit of something uh, unexpected in a different way, but I've gone. F- I, I spent about an hour um, on a on a rabbit hole thing about difficult second albums because um, that was my sort of theme for the weekend. And I think my favourite second album is the Pixies and Doolittle. And uh, I'm just going to go for uh, well, I was going to half going to go from for Here Comes Your Man, which was. Uh, for Kai Havertz, but I'm going to go for La La Love You, which is such a brilliant track and also has some outstanding whistling in it for fans of whistling in music. <laughs> so if you don't know it, check that out. Whistling along to the trance, weren't you, on, on a Saturday afternoon? Oh, yeah. yeah, of course I was. Yeah, that's what I was doing. Uh, um, well, that's it for Handbrake Off. I'm going to get some rest. Uh, thank you to Adrian Clark. Thank you to Amy Lawrence. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks to Jay, our producer. And um, we'll speak to you after Wednesday. Ta-da.